Welcome to the City Edge Church podcast. For more information, please visit our website at cityedgechurch.org.au. We hope that you enjoy this message. Tonight, um, we're going to launch our series for the PM services on uh, this whole topic of crossing Jordan. Okay, just let me just give you a quick context. Jordan refers to a river. Okay, the Jordan River on the edge of Israel and modern-day Jordan, the country of Jordan. Uh, So you can even fly there today and see it. So it's a real place we're talking about. And all of our references will go back to this historical event where the people of Israel were called to cross over from the wilderness into God's promised land. And for us tonight... How that relates to us is that God has got promises for us, that He's calling us to step up in faith to take hold of. We've all got a Jordan River to cross. We've all got something that God's calling us to overcome or cross through faith, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later, to take hold of all that God actually has for us. You know, the Bible says this in Hebrews 3, uh, verse 7 to 14. Uh, It says this, this is why the Holy Spirit says, Today when you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts as Israel did when they rebelled, when they tested me in the wilderness. There your ancestors tested me and tried my patience, even though they saw my miracles for 40 years. So I was angry with them and I said, their hearts always turn away from me. They refuse to do what I tell them. So in my anger, I took an oath, I'll never enter my place of rest. So be careful then, dear brothers and sisters, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly when we first, as when we first believed, we will share in all, everyone say all, all, all that belongs to Christ. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed. So having faith, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. You know, when we read the Bible, okay, I, I want to do a little bit of Bible teaching because the Bible is the most interesting book you'll, you'll ever read. I, I really believe that. I mean, it's got everything in there. It's got action it's got war, like these, these are the movies I like watching. Uh, it's got drama in there, romance in there. It's got romantic poetry. It's even got like sensual poetry in there. Uh, not telling you where, okay. Uh, it's got, uh, just because we've got teenagers in the crowd right now. Uh, it's got uh, uh, wisdom. It's got historical narrative. Uh, it, it's got a whole bunch of different things in there. And it just comes to life, comes to life when you read it with the Holy Spirit. But when you, when you read the Bible through, what you see is this really big, on a big picture scale, you see God has got a plan for humanity. The whole story of the Bible is God outworking his plan of, we say, salvation or redemption, or basically God saving our butts from sin. God dealing with the problem of sin and uh, bringing us back into relationship with him. It is a love letter to the Bible. It, it outlines that whole, whole plan on a global level, but also on an individual level as well. And the thing I love about it is that it reveals God's plan, keyword being plan, which means it's not by accident. Um, it's, not, it's not just, oh, we hope it happens. It's actually by design. It's not how maybe some of you plan you know, events where you hang out with your friends, you know, like, uh, who's coming? Oh, I don't know. Uh, when's it going to be? Oh, just whenever, you know. Uh, why are we, where are we going to go? Oh, it doesn't bother me. You know, God's plan is not like that. God knows who he needs there. He knows when it's going to happen. He knows why it's going to happen, right? And where it's going to happen. So God has planned and purposed it 
all. And it's, it's kind of like, I think of it kind of like this. It's kind of like a Pixar movie. Okay, who loves Pixar here? Yeah. Uh, fan of like Monsters, Inc. Or uh, it's Frozen Pixar. I've never seen Frozen before. Um, I've never ever seen it, so I'm sorry. It's Pixar, isn't it? It's Disney Pixar. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yesterday we found out we're having a baby girl, which is really awesome. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> which, is, which is really amazing, but I now have a list this long of movies to watch because I only had brothers, and so, you know, I'd never seen any of the, the other Disney movies that didn't quite appeal to us boys. Um, <laughs> so, it's kind of the Bible, where was I? The Bible's kind of like a Pixar movie. When you watch something like Toy Story or even like uh, uh, Monsters, Inc., you'll see in the movie characters from other Pixar movies. So, I know, it's like mind blown. It's crazy. Uh, In Monsters, Inc., you'll see characters as toys from Toy Story. And in Toy Story, you'll see characters... Uh, uh, from Up, and then from, uh, you know, from in Up, you'll see Finding Nemo, and they, they all link it in, and they've all got little references, we call them Easter eggs, they're little things that you can find that have been secretly slotted in there, and it reveals something about maybe another movie, or it's, it, it gives a preview of something, of a movie that's coming out, and the Bible can be a little bit like that, in that when we read the Old Testament, that is the, the books of the Bible before the time that Jesus walked the planet, when we read that, We can read about the historical events, the real people. It's not made up, it's real. But then there's another level where their life, what they did, what they believed, how it all functioned, actually reveals a principle or a spiritual purpose that God was trying to outwork that He's now outworking for us. It's kind of like it's a preview in the Old Testament of what God was going to do. He was doing it in one person in the Old Testament, but now He's doing it through all of our lives. It's called a foreshadowing. And we see this all through. You see, um, there's a guy named uh, Jonah, right? Jonah is the best fishing story ever, except he doesn't catch the fish. The fish catches him. Uh, he jumps off a boat for a whole bunch of reasons. Don't, I don't advise. But, uh, he, he, and, and a fish swallows him like a, a whale. We don't really know what kind of animal it is. But he essentially dies. Right? He talks about being in the belly of death. Uh, and, uh, and so he essentially dies, and on the third day, he gets vomited up, fish vomit, how good is that? And, uh, and then brought back to life again, or resuscitated. And uh, he goes and then does what God has called him to do. How many know when you get, you know, you're going to do what God calls you to do after that? Uh, but it's a picture of what was going to happen to Jesus. Um, Jesus lived, he died, and he was in the belly of death until the third day where he was resurrected. See, Jonah didn't know what was going on, but God knew. It was like a little sneak peek, a little Easter egg of what would happen. Uh, there, there's a day called the Day of Atonement where the people of Israel every year would slaughter a lamb that would cover the sins of all the people for that whole year. You could only do it once. Only the high priest could do it. And it was like a really big deal. Everyone would fast for the day and it would be a, a huge deal. And that's in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, what do we see? Jesus is our, our Lamb of Atonement. He, we, we, he, we, we call him metaphorically our Lamb because he was sacrificed once. Not every year, but once, and now we're covered for the rest of our lives as, as long as we keep in faith, right, and, uh, and keep a sweet spirit and a, a confession of repentance towards God. So there's four shadows. And so the, the reason I'm saying this is the stories we're talking about this month, the, the reason why we can dig into the Old Testament is because they're four shadows. They actually tell a picture of what God wants to do and what God is doing in your life and in my life today. Even though this happened thousands of years ago, it is just as relevant today uh, as it was back then. We, but we understand it now through the lenses of what Jesus has done for us. 
And so we have like this amazing view now because of the Holy Spirit and because of what Jesus has done for us. And that's what this writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying, listen, take a lesson from the people of the Old Testament. Take a lesson from it. Don't just do the same things. Learn from their example and apply it to your life so that you don't have to walk that same journey, but you can actually grab hold of all that God's called you to grab hold of. And so today we're going to talk about the story of the Israelites, how they went from Egypt. So I'll stand over here. They went from Egypt into the wilderness and then into the promised land. They went from Egypt into the wilderness and into the promised land. It is a picture of your life and it's a picture of my life. Three phases, three states, three steps on the journey that God has called all of us to walk. Okay? So let me, let me just get you up to speed. We're going to hone in on the people of Israel. Okay? They come from a man named Abraham. God appeared to Abraham out of the blue. Just, that's all it says. Genesis 12, God appears to Abraham. How would you feel if you're just doing your thing and then God appears to you, right? But then God appears to Abraham and says, Abraham, listen, if you would take your family, leave your land, and go to a place that you don't even know where you're going to go, but just trust me, I'll make you into a great nation, You'll be, through you, the whole world will be blessed. And that land you're going to, I will give it to you and your descendants as a promised land. It'll be a blessed land. It'll be a, an inheritance for you. And so Abraham, or Abram, uh, does what God says. He's obedient, and he goes. He ends up, after, through a series of miracles, he has a child with his wife in their old age. He has children. They have children. And before we know it, and, you know, you can, you can play the montage, you know, with this background music and the skipping through hundreds of years, we get to uh, a place called Egypt where all of Abraham's descendants, the 12 tribes that make up his people, all concentrated in Egypt. And when they first got there, due to a famine, they get there, they received favor. They were looked upon well. They were blessed. They multiplied. They just, you know, man, there's just more and more of them. But something actually happens where there's a change in Pharaoh. Uh, there's a change in dynasty. Uh, a different family comes in and seizes power. And they don't know who these Israelites are. In fact, they're averse to um, foreigners. And they're threatened by them, thinking maybe they're like a fifth column. They're going to rise up against us and try and overthrow us. And so they actually institute a, a policy of slavery for, the whole na- for all the Israelite people. A whole people are put into slavery. It's crazy. And so the people of Israel, the Israelites, they're in slavery for probably just over 100 years. It's hard to get the dates right, but it's, a, it's just over 100 years. And they're oppressed. They're, they're, they're forced to work for barely anything. Um, they're they're uh, persecuted and whipped and beaten when they don't meet quota. Um, they... There's a, there's a policy of, of genocide where, you know, the, the midwives are told to execute the babies, the baby boys, throw them in the river, so, you know, in the river not. It, it's horrible, horrible stuff, and God hears their cry. And see, Egypt was a place of slavery for the Israelites, but Egypt is a picture of what our lives are like before we come to know Jesus. Not that we're in physical slavery um, you know, although that does happen in the world today, but what it actually is is spiritual slavery to sin and to the enemy. We're, we're in slavery to sin, in that before we know Jesus, um, it's not that we can't help ourselves but sin, but we have this spiritual state 
of sin in that we've sinned and we can't get away from that. We can't deal with that. We don't, we don't have the tools to sort of even overcome it. We have a natural tendency, right, to want to do what's selfish rather than what's selfless, right? Does anyone know what I'm talking about tonight? Right? You have a natural tendency um, to do what is selfish and not what is selfless. Um, more times than not, at least what I've seen sometimes with little babies is that it's easy for them to keep something for themselves, but you've got to teach them how to share, right? Why? Because there's, a, there's, there's this sense of a sinful nature inside of us, and we cannot escape it. And it is like slavery to us. Sin enslaves humanity. It really does. Sin will offer you the world, but it'll take more than it can give. Every single time. And we, before we come to know Jesus, we're in a state of spiritual slavery. Sometimes we're even enslaved to things like fear. Where fear has got a grip on our lives so much that we just don't even know how to deal with it. Or anxiety or depression. Maybe we have substance addictions and we just don't have the power to break free. We're in slavery to that. Maybe we're addicted to pornography and we just cannot help ourselves and, and muster the, the, the fortitude to be able to overcome that. There, there's a whole bunch of different things, but sin can be like a slave master to us. And just like the children of Israel were born into it, we're born into that state. And so what does God do? God raises up a leader by the name of Moses and sends Moses to confront Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, no. <laughs> he says, no. And so God uses Moses to bring about a whole bunch of plagues and a, a, a bunch of miracles and a whole host of different things that essentially, because of Pharaoh's stubbornness and pride, brings the country to ruin to the point where, like, economically, everything, it's all, it's all done because everything just gets destroyed. So Pharaoh finally goes, fine, I will let your people go. Your God is God, I'm not God. And so... Moses leads the people of Israel out of slavery to the Red Sea. Now, here's the cool thing. There's nothing that, it was God that had to intervene to save the children of Israel. And in the same way, when we're stuck in slavery to sin, there's nothing we can do to get out of it. So God raised up a leader for us. He sent his only son, Jesus to die on the cross for us. See, Moses is just another picture of the foreshadow of what was to come. He sent Jesus, the Son of God, to die on a cross, rise again from the dead, confront, so to speak, the Pharaoh, and defeat his power, strip authority from him, to defeat the enemy, to defeat sin, all that, so now he can lead us out of Egypt and towards the promised land. He's got what God did for Egypt, uh, what God did for Israel is a picture of what God is doing for us. And so Moses comes, so I'm going to jump back and forth between these, okay? Hopefully we can, we, get, we can keep up to this. So Moses leads the people out of e uh, Egypt, and to get to the promised land, they've got to cross their first major obstacle. They've got to cross the Red Sea. Now, look, they, they didn't have nippers back then. They didn't have, um, you know, uh, swimming lessons where you were first tadpoles and then you became turtles. And you know how they have the different grades? Like, I was a proud tadpole, man. I was, I was, I was loving it. Uh, but they, they didn't have that. And so no one could swim. They were slaves. They didn't know how to build boats. How are they getting across? While they're camped out at the Red Sea trying to figure out how they're going to get to the Promised Land, Pharaoh goes, man, what have I just done? I've let these people go, rounds up his army, chases after them. And just as he's about to encircle them, to re-enslave them, God parts the Red Sea, right? By the power of God. <laughs> and the Israelites walk across the Red Sea. 
It was very, it was a lot bigger than this Red Sea here. And I imagine God didn't pull the water like a blanket, but anyway. And just as the, just as the, 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 the Egyptians were coming across to chase them down, God, clo- don't ask me to do it, but God closed the Red Sea and complete, not only had Pharaoh's pride caused the demise of his, um, of his country, um, but it took out his army. It essentially, his own pride and stubbornness crippled his own dynasty and probably brought it to an end. Um, and so God crushed the enemy in that regard. And see, the Red Sea, for us, is a picture of our water baptism. We're taken through the water. See, when Jesus saves us, when we say yes to him, now you might be someone here who's never encountered God. You've you've never had a relationship with Jesus. I want to say you're going to have an opportunity later at the end of my little speech here to be able to make your own decision to go, you know what, I've been enslaved for way too long. I need freedom. Jesus, please save me. Uh, It's as simple as that, right? And so... um, God leads, a, Moses leads the people of Israel out, and Jesus, he leads us out of Egypt, and he leads us to the waters of baptism. Why? Because when the Israelites went through the waters of the Red Sea, it was kind of like the final parting, the final disconnect from their old life to now their new life, right? Because the, the powers of Pharaoh tried to pursue them through it, but they got crushed. And in the same way, when you and I get water baptized, this is why it's so significant. It's because when we go through that process, yes, it's just a physical ceremony, but there's something spiritual that happens that begins to crush and cut off the power of the enemy, the power of sin. It's completely stripped. It doesn't make it through the waters of baptism. We die when we go down, but we're resurrected into new life when we come up, right? You got to say, it's all connected, man. There's like, there's, there's a little Easter egg in everything here, right? God has been working this plan from the very beginning. And so God saves us through the waters of baptism. We come out in the same way that the children of Israel couldn't swim across to go back to Egypt. The point of water baptism is that we say, we're on this side now. We're never going back. And I believe tonight, even in worship, I just sense, and I want to encourage, but this is going to, uh, this is a a strong word that maybe there's some of us here and we are looking at Egypt and wondering whether we should try and swim back. And I just want to encourage you, don't go back. Don't go back. It's the wrong way. God doesn't want to lead you back to Egypt because that's a choice to slavery. See, a choice to sin is just a choice to be enslaved. Okay, I want to say that because we often think, oh, I want to be free to make my own choices. I want to be free to do what I want to do. Yes, you are free, but is it really free if your choice leads to slavery? It doesn't make sense, right? And so I believe that God wants to raise a generation of people, regardless of our age, where doing the wrong thing and sinning isn't an option, because that's an option of slavery. So we look at that thing, and we see it for what it really is, and we say, no, we're going to choose what's right. We're going to do what God's called us to do, and we're not going to just step into that other stuff, right? Because who wants to be enslaved? And so, hey, like, God leads us through that, and he leads us into the wilderness. Man, I'm, I'm saying more than I thought I would, but God, I believe God's moving here. Uh, tonight. So I better check my notes because I've got no idea where we are. There we are. Cool. And so for 40 years, God leads them into the second phase called the wilderness. The Israelites, they follow Moses around for 40 years. Here's the thing. The next part was awesome because they were free. They'd left the old behind and now they were free. And guess what? God was doing miracles in the wilderness. Like God was doing some pretty amazing stuff. 
Okay, God was uh, 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 leading them with a pillar of cloud in the day, like this huge pillar of cloud showed them where to go. Then by night, because it's freezing cold in the wilderness, it was a pillar of fire and they could camp around it so they stayed warm, right? They didn't even have to light their own fires, like God did the work for them. The Bible says that their shoes never wore out, their clothes never wore out. Um, Every day, God provided food. He provided miraculously manna from heaven and, and quails, like little birds, for them to eat. It was the original Uber Eats. Yeah, they all had their app, and just every time they wanted something, they're just like, wow, whew. you know, it's just like, oh, I want a bit of a crown. It's like, just there's a, a, a bird falling from the sky. Delivery. Yep, that's a five star rating for that one. Excellent. Uh, it was awesome, right? It was amazing. In the wilderness, there was still revelation. We haven't think that a wilderness season, God's not always speaking to me, but even in the wilderness, God gave the Ten Commandments. The greatest moral code that the world has ever known, God revealed himself in a way he'd never revealed himself before in the wilderness. This was not a bad place. But it was still a wilderness. And they weren't called to stay in the wilderness, they were called to go to the promised land. I just wonder how many of us um, live our lives sort of in this place of wilderness and we, we become satisfied with that, we don't ever think maybe there's a promised land for me to still take. You know, like, because, again, the wilderness, wilderness is not bad, but it's still the wilderness. It's not the promised land. God's got a promised land for you. God's got promises for you. See, in the wilderness, there's God's provision. There's still revelation. There are still miracles. But it's a place where we can except the status quo, the mediocre, even the glass half empty. It is a place of God's provision, but the wilderness is not a place of God's purpose. It's a place where God will meet you, but it's not the place that God wants to leave you. It's, It's a place of struggle with sin, but it's not the place of complete victory over sin. It's not the place of triumph over sin, over the kingdom of darkness. It, it's, a, it, it's, a place of, uh, um, it, it's a place of the wilderness. See, the promised land wasn't there. The promised land was west of there. And there was a map that would have went up before, but, and the promised land was across the Jordan. And this place was amazing. The Bible says it was a place flowing with milk and honey. That when spies went to scope it out, they came back saying that the produce of the land was so good that a single cluster of grapes had to be carried by two men. Just think about that for a second. That's some good grapes right there. See, the wilderness was a place of just enough, but the promised land where God was wanting to lead them was a place of more than enough. The wilderness was a place of manna, from heaven, but the promised land was a, a place of fruit and produce and so much more variety and so much more amazing stuff. See, the promised land that God has for us, and we find this, right? It's not a physical place. You've got to hear me. We're talking spiritually here, but it's a place of God's promises. I believe it's a, it's a, it's a place of God's abundance in our life in all areas. Now, I'm not just talking about financially here. There's many ways we can experience God's abundance. It's a place where His fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, is being developed in abundance in our life. 
It's a place where we are not necessarily struggling with our sin, but we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to overcome. It's a place of the Holy Spirit's empowerment on us, of His fire on our lives. It's a place where there's healing and restoration. God's promised land for us is a place of destiny where we're fulfilling our purpose. It's a place of victory over the enemy. See, Egypt was a place where we were in bondage to the enemy, but the promised land is the place where we begin to destroy the works of the enemy. There's a, there's a shift here. In the middle, we're kind of free. We're, we're, it's kind of cool. But when we step over the Jordan into the promised land, we take an active role, partner with the kingdom of God, starting to fulfill his destiny and call to destroy the works of the enemy and expand God's kingdom everywhere. There is another place that God is calling us to. As a church, as an individual, God has got more for you. And so here's my quick question is, where are you living right now? Which one are you in? There's going to be some people here, you're in Egypt, and God wants to save you tonight. He really does. He wants to give you a life-changing encounter tonight. Some of us are in the wilderness, and maybe we've settled there, or maybe we just didn't even know there was more for us. And others, we're ascribing, or maybe we have crossed over to the promised land. But tonight, in the last five minutes that I've got here, I just want to give you two quick points on what we need to do if we want to step into God's promised land. And simply this, first one is this, we've got to get sick of being in the wilderness. We've got to get sick in the, of being in the wilderness. The Bible says that the Israelites wandered through the desert for 40 years. That's a long time. I'm 30 years old. That's 10 years longer than I've been alive. And they wandered for that long. What's crazy is that it wasn't long from when they left Egypt to when they arrived for the first time on the banks of the Jordan to look at the promised land. It was only a matter of months, really. It didn't take all that long to actually get there. But see, when the spies that they sent came back and reported all the amazing things that the promised land had to offer, some of them also reported the challenges and the obstacles in their way. See, they reported that, man, there are so many people there. My gosh, their cities are huge. They're, they're, they're fortified. They're, their people are stronger than we are. They're bigger than we are. They're better looking than we are. They've got more facial hair than we are, have. You know, like they, they come back and they give this report going, look at it. We're never going to be able to do this. And so they despised the promises of God and settled for the wilderness. And so Moses led them around for 40 years. Because that generation was okay to accept wilderness and not take promised land. My question is, if they were so... Actually, let me say this. During those 40 years, the people grumbled and grumbled and grumbled about being in the wilderness. Here's my question. If they were so bummed about it, why didn't it motivate them to give the promised land another crack? To me, I think, what if someone just got a righteous anger inside of them and thought, you know what, this isn't good enough anymore. This isn't what God's called me to. Like, I'm thankful for the manna. I'm thankful for the quail. I'm thankful for Uber Eats. I'm thankful for all that God's doing. I'm thankful. We never not be thankful. But there's also this thing that's got to rise inside. I wonder if it ever did rise inside one of the Israelites going, I'm thankful for this, but God never promised a wilderness. God promised a land flowing with milk and honey. He promised something more for our lives. 
I'm thankful for the pillar of cloud. I'm thankful for the pillar of fire. But no one had that. They were comfortable with the wilderness. And I just want to say, I believe that God's calling us. If we want to cross the Jordan River into God's promises. Now, this month, we're going to talk about what they are. If you feel a little bit in the dark on that, it's just because this is just to set us up for this month. This is why we're here at church every week, right? Because God's trying to communicate. Whoever's preaching actually spends time going, God, what do you want to say? And so, like, we want to hear what's being said, right? And so, this, but we're just setting it up tonight. But God wants us to cross over into the promised land. And I believe the first thing we've got to do is we've got to get a bit of righteous frustration inside of us. Come on, some of us have got to begin to look at the state of things going on in our family and go, God, that is not good enough for my family. There is, there's another, there's a promised land for my, there's a promise for my family, God. Someone's got to look at our schools or our university and go, you know what? That's not good enough for my school. That's not good enough for my university. God, you've got promises. You've got things you want to do. I'm not going to be satisfied in this wilderness of just things being mediocre and okay. I want more. Some of us have got to look maybe at some of the sicknesses in our life or maybe the state of our business and go, God, I'm thankful for what it is. It doesn't mean I'm a bad Christian. It doesn't mean that you're, you're a bad guy. It, but I know that there's so much more for me than this. I've got to take hold of it. I want to get a little bit of righteous frustration inside of me. We kind of got to get that anger on the inside, you know, that uh, that you get. Because sometimes that's the only thing that will motivate us to change. Just to go, oh, I'm sick of this. God, you've got to do something. Here's the second thing we've got to do. So first thing, we've got to just get a bit of righteous frustration. Get frustrated with not having access to the uh, promises of God yet. Not seeing what you want to see yet. But secondly, let's let our faith conquer our fear. Okay. See, when they heard, when the people heard what the spies reported, they were terrified. Some of them had faith. Two of them had faith. And were like, come on, man, we can take them. We can take them. Now, when it says that the people were, I don't know if I mentioned it before, the people were giants in the land is what they say. That doesn't mean they were like, you know, giants like out of a fairy tale. But the average height in the ancient world, I mean, the Romans were about 170 on average, and so this is like a thousand years before that. We've actually grown taller over time, and so the Israelites, malnourished, you know, coming from the wilderness uh, and, and slavery, they probably weren't tall, but these men and women were very large because they were in a prosperous nation, and they saw them, they were absolutely terrified, and this is what they actually said. They said, in Numbers 14.4, let's bail, basically. <laughs> Let us choose another leader and go back to Egypt. Like fear got their heart so much. The fear of crossing one river into the promised land, the fear of taking on the, 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 some of the challenges and obstacles that do come with chasing down the promises of God, such was the fear that it drove them to want to go back to the Red Sea and go back to please enslave us. We were better in Egypt. What is that? Come on, they needed to let their fear conquer, uh, let their faith rather conquer their fear in that moment. See, what I love, and this is a, a thought Jason brought out, one of our amazing CLC trainers and life group leaders here. He brought this out at chapel this week. He said that a whole bunch of spies went into the promised land and they all saw the same thing. It's not like some of them saw the giants and some of them saw the fruit. They all saw the same thing, yet 10 came back and said they saw giants. The other two said they saw fruit, which means that what you see and your attitude towards it is your choice. 
It's in your control. How you respond to the river is completely in your control. You're not a victim of it. It's in your power to go, this is going to be something that I'm going to let faith rise for. I'm not going to let fear dictate me anymore. It is time for us to leave Egypt. It's time for us to leave the wilderness. And it's time for City Edge Church to go, you know what? There's a promise for me. And I'm not going to let fear. I'm not going to let anxiety. I'm going to take hold of it this year. I'm going to take hold of it this month. I'm going to get on my journey and begin to do that. Come on, God has called more for us. Hey, this is not a G up. This is not a, let's just get all stirred up and what now. This month we're going to teach and equip and empower you and lead you. And you have got the best advocate. You've got the Holy Spirit. He's going to speak to you. He's going to say things to you. He's going to encourage you. He's going to stir you. He's going to, you know, like kind of like cattle prod you a little bit. Just step out in faith. And uh, it's going to be awkward. It's going to feel a bit weird. But you know what? It'll be the best thing you ever did. It'll be the best thing you ever did. faith that causes us to cross it. See, the faith that took us from Egypt, that's the faith to save you from. But the faith we need to go into the promised land is the faith to take you, to take you to. The first one is the the faith to save you from the unknown. The second one is the faith to take you, uh, sorry, the first one is to save you from the known. The second one is to take you into the unknown. So let's choose faith this month. What fears are keeping you on this side of the Jordan? Is it fear of failure? Fear of loss? Fear of it not working out? Fear of I've tried it before God and the timing just did not line up the way I thought. What is the fear? And God wants you to choose faith. (laughs) 